Boyos are back in town to talk again about the creative type. This is Steph, Chief Operating Officer of the Boyos, Chief Cult Member, Chief Cult Leader of the Boyos, Chief Ted Kaczynski of the Boyos, Chief Tony Robbins of the Creative Types, Chief Alex Jones of Psychology. This is Steph, here to talk to you about the creative, the creative spirit, the creative will. And I am here to talk to you about a very serious topic which is getting the right relationships in your life. In fact, the, the, the balancing, the most important relationship a creative person will need in order to fulfill their potential and make their dreams manifest in the world so that they can feel that they've achieved their purpose and they feel good about themselves. These are very important things. Now, of course, the way the world works is the world works in the art of duality. You know, the, the mankind has been gendered into male and female because the splitting of the roles leads to a more optimal union when they come together. Even you have two hands because having one single dork hand so you can walk around like a, a, a unicorn is not, it's not a good strategy. The cyclops mode is not good. You have two eyes for the same reason. There's great power in duality. Duality is a far more dynamic way of operating. This is what the universe teaches us. And this is what even your brain has learned. Your brain is split into two as well. Now, what a lot of people struggle to realize is that mankind obviously splits us into genders, but it also splits us into personality types. This is the thing. We all have these personality types, and there's a lot of different ways that people try to do this. They try to do it with Jungian psychology. I mean, they try to categorize the personality types. They try to do it with Jungian psychology. They try to do it with Miggs Breyers, which is basically the same thing. The ocean, that's the thing you probably hear Jordan Peterson talk about an awful lot. This is a personality type, and a set of personality types, a set of traits. And as I keep saying, us creatives, we're very heavy on high openness, we'll say. High openness tilting towards creativity. We can say that's almost like the archetype of the channel or something like this. I know it sounds a bit sterile, but it's absolutely true because the world has filled the reality with another type of person as well. These would be the realists, you know. This is like the way the world has filled the, the world with a load of women and maybe there's a lot of men and, you know, they could get together and they could make cool things happen. And maybe if they got together, they'll, like, do dirty things in the bedroom, naughty things in the bedroom that we cannot talk about. We shall not, we shall hold our Puritan fingers uh, upon our, our lips and, and say no more. They'll, they'll get all funky. They'll get all down and dirty in the bedroom to produce a baby. But um, these realists and these creatives, these visionaries and these logistical masters, these are the two personality types we're talking about here. The conscientious and the creative, if, if you want to say it about this way. These type of people are, are around the world and if they can get together, they can actually go in, on to produce creative projects. For example, like a film, we're going to look at this now in a minute. Like, I... I've seen this, and uh, recently I've started to understand how important this is, and I've started to notice I've got like a sneeze coming, so I'm, tr I'm trying to talk through a sneeze. Did you ever get that before? You're like talking through a sneeze, you got a tingle in your nose. I'm like, all right, keep on pushing through. That's the that's the creative spirit. My anima once I heard once I heard conscientiousness, my anima was like, get the fuck out, out through his nose, like the Egyptians. My brain is coming out my nose. Anyway. The, the conscientious, realistic person is out there in the world and the creative person is out there in the world. When they come together, they can produce great, great works. And, and I started to realize this from working with all the boyos in the boyo program. I'm talking to these people over and over again. I constantly see the same problems, like the creative shadow looms over us and logistics, realism, conscientiousness, iterative processes, all these type of things, all these boring, mundane things that actually get the results. It's almost like a, a kryptonite to the creatives. And what I see is, um, there's, there's all these traits are important for these people to learn, but there's also a type of person who's an easy master of this. I go out into the world, and people also often ask me what you do, and I'm like, I'm a YouTuber. I'm a YouTuber, and uh, they're like, What do you YouTube about there, Steph? Tell us more about that. 
And I'm obviously talking about Carl Jung and the spiel about creative personalities and all this stuff. And I come across a couple of people who, they, they will listen to me because I'm able to articulate it, but they'll look at me and they'll be like, I just don't have a creative bone in my body. And they'll talk to me about who they are. You know, they might be lawyers or accountants or running some, some type of process for a business and all this type of stuff. And there's just, there's just like none of, they're like, creativity is the thing I need. I'm, I'm sterile. I don't see things. I, I'm stuck in, in lanes. I don't see things differently. I'm kind of like uh, too stiff. I can't think outside the box. I struggle with problem solving. Sometimes my life gets a little bit boring and mundane. I, I'm repetitive. Sometimes I feel I don't have enough personality and stuff like this. But they have all the logistical stuff down to a T. They're really good at organizing those things. They can think a certain way that allows them to do all this type of stuff. And I see these people and they have their own problems, almost like the way we have them, but in a different direction. It's almost like there's this opposite thing going on. And I start to see this more and more. I see, you see these categories, first of all, talking to the boyos, and I start seeing it in the real world. And then I'm kind of pondering, I'm like, all right, well, we've got the creative and then we've got maybe we could call it the conscientious person. And what you see is that out in the, um, I, I start looking through, for example, movies, like how, how do movies work? What's going on with, 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 uh, with a huge operant project like a film? Because if you have some floozy creative, like the director at the top of it, if you get some unindividuated boyo who's just like all up in the air, theoretical, and then they come in, you know, and you have to organize millions of dollars and all this equipment and all these people and get them all to the same place at the same time. Really boring, mundane things have to happen for this stuff to work. I'm thinking to myself, you know, some floozy director couldn't pull that off. Yeah, man, just like show up when you feel, you know, um, you just like, you know, show up and be a good vibe, man. Um, you know, like just, just express yourself through the concept of time, like just show up whenever you want. That wouldn't work. That would not work. The movies would not get made. And so I look through the, the film industry and I try to figure out like, uh, right, how does this work? And of course, you 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 have always heard, you see this in the, the screen titles, there's this guy called a producer. There's this guy called a producer, and you check out what a producer is, and things actually become quite interesting. They're that conscientious person, the logistical organizer. Here's a video that talks about it, so check this out. This is the person responsible for the film financially and logistically, as opposed to the director who's responsible for the film creatively. Now, more often than not, the producer is the one that hires the director. So the producer might be the one that wants to make a movie that has the money to make a film, that's raised the money to make a film. Then they have optioned the rights to a story of a book, then commissioned a screenwriter to adapt that um, book into a screenplay. Then they've looked around and hired um, the director that they think is the best fit with the um, story that they want to tell then they are there to help the director achieve their vision. Um, and by help, I mean make the director achieve their vision because the producer is the one who's asses on the line so this, I, I found i found this fascinating because there's a sort of egotism to being the creative we, we should understand ourselves generally speaking as sort of like these director types visionary emotional in the anima you know and um, lost in the realm of ideas usually lacking a lot of realism we're not kind of grounded and down to earth and we think ourselves as special this is the sort of creative arrogance it's like i'm the creative person i'm the one with the dreams i'm the one with the skill the talent if someone just threw money at me I would make all their the things happen. I would make amazing things happen and whatnot. And then, of course, comes with this is this sort of idea of leadership in some sense. It's like, look, I'm the one with the visions and the dreams, so I should make these 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 films happen. I, I, I should be given all the wealth so I can make the film because it'll be great, or given all the wealth so I can buy a studio and make a song and all this type of stuff. And and I found I find, find this fascinating because 
when you look at um, how, how the industry does it at the moment, you have producers leading the way. It's almost like the producers are the masculine role. And they go out and they get, for example, financing. So it's like building up the energy. So they, they, they see a project that needs to be done. They're like a business guy more than a creative guy. They see a project that needs to be done. They know that, you know, Lord of the Rings is a great story. They love the story, but they, they're not sure they could tell it. But they know that they could put the, the pieces together to make it happen. So these people are like inc- incredibly important because it, it's 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 just not going to happen if it's up to a director. If the guy who can execute maybe the visionary story and the aesthetic style and all that type of stuff. That that's one thing, but the, the person as I said to get like the technology and the equipment and all that stuff in place is just they're so essential with, with something at the scale of Lord of the Rings. Imagine trying to like bring all those costume designers, all that wealth and finances, get all that stuff and bring it all into the one place. It'd be so difficult to do it properly. And you're on a budget as well and all these type of things. And so what a producer does is they actually set the agenda. They, they they get everything sorted out. They deal with the law. They deal with legal legality, logistics. They go out and they they go and they like talk to the people who own the rights for the story. So, for example, Lord of the Rings with the book. They they buy those those uh, rights. They go and they do all this really annoying, mundane, boring stuff. And me in the corner, I'm just sort of like, bro, why do I have to do this? Why? They 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 wake up and they drink their coffee and they focus on getting stuff like this done. And I'm like, you know what? I'd rather just literally go out and buy a gun and blow my brains out. Like I don't have to be dealing with contracts and talking to people and fecking accounts and logistics and researching where I can get rights and all that. That's the most annoying, crappy stuff ever. Like, why do I have to do I'd rather be sitting there thinking about the story itself because that's ultimately what matters to me. But these people, maybe they want this, but these people are more sophisticated in making sure stuff gets done. They're, they're making sure that the actual procedures and processes are put into place. They're conscientious, successfully conscientious. And this is a really, really interesting thing because they become the leader. They become the assertive masculine role. They're the decider, the person who, who sets the agenda. They get the idea. They organize the funds. They organize the logistics. They organize the creative. They go and they find the person they want and they bring them on board with this. And this is probably the, the, the biggest point is what I'm trying to say with this whole thing. Why is this such a valuable relationship? Because these people aren't like you. You might not even you might even clash a little bit because you'll be so different. You'll be so disorganized. Whereas they'll be like hyper organized and hyper put together. But if you cultivate relationships with these type of people, they will come out and seek you because you're something they lack. Do you understand? Do you understand how big of a deal that is? So the, you've got these characters, these producers. And if you're, you're pissing them off from being a stupid, annoying creative who's egotistical and thinks big about themselves, you're going to miss out on these opportunities for them to be like, I'm going to choose him and I'm going to get this person to, to lead the, the visionary directing side of things. That's a huge deal. And then they will take care of all that crap that you don't want to deal with and they'll let you, set you free to, to feng shui the, the, the film and make it happen and whatnot. And this is an incredibly powerful concept to get sorted out. Um, so as I said, this this sort of creative, this this director, they they organize logistics, they organize law, they get all these things in order so that they can um, provide an easy path for the creative person to just go and dance and be floozy and talk the nonsense that they talk because ultimately they will uh, manifest and make a make the film happen in a profound way. And I I I really want to stress that idea of them being the assertive party because that's a big deal. It's a big big idea to keep in mind. So let's listen to more of him. The producer is the one who's us is on the line, essentially, um, should the film fail and who stands to make a lot of money should the film succeed. Sometimes the main producer is called the creative producer. They're the ones that gather all the elements that make the film happen. And in the hierarchy of a film, they're pretty much at the top. They're the ones that 
that hires the director and if the director is not doing what the producer wants they're the ones that fires the director and replaces the director now very seldom do producers put their own money into films never put your own money in the show and two never put your own money in the show they hire they raise the capital to produce the film um, from various sources. It could be the studio, it could be private investors, it could be the stock market, um, it could be venture capital firms or hedge funds, it could yeah, be, be anyone that money has money that anymore. wants to make more um, money. I, I think that's a really interesting uh, kind of conception to understand as well. Like these type of people, the very elite type of people, um, they are the, the creative producer. You, you could imagine them if you wanted to profile them. They probably are quite open as well. They're probably open, but they maybe just don't have that exceptionally high, blistering, creative, aesthetic sense that is necessary to take a film to an elite level. But they're quite open-minded. They're able to conceive of why a film's cool. They have some sort of aesthetic sense, but they're, they're really just heavier on the logistical sufficiency. And, and ultimately, like, logistics is the, the, the most sort of masculine trait. It's the most masculine tool, if you wish. I was literally talking to a, a gentleman um, who is... And I don't mean to this to categorize creatives as, as, as effeminate or something like that in a derogatory way at all. It's just, it's a more feminine mode of operating. It's more um, interested in the emotionality of reality and whatnot. And this is actually creates the highest beauties of all of our lives and whatnot. It's, it's, it's the most important thing in many ways. But um, it certainly is a sort of feminine way to, go, to carry itself through the world. And whereas this more kind of stiff masculine energy which is operant in these more conscientious types this is very important you know like it really does predicate success and it, it leads success in some sense and and um and it's there but these two these two characters need each other and like man and woman as Nietzsche said they need each other they're destined for each other but like man and woman they're also destined to misunderstand each other because they're so different that's just how they work and how they have to work it's really important to keep that stuff in mind what I think is important about this as well, and if we're talking about money and whatnot, is that these producers, they tend to take the most amount of risk for that reason. Because when you put money on the line, like that's scary. That's risk. That's like a lot of power and energy getting put into one place. And these, these more productive producer types of people, they are inviting the creative, the, the director to come in and... They're ba like if the director screws up, like the director will lose maybe reputation and they'll lose their wage, but the the producer here will lose an awful lot of wealth. They'll probably lose an awful lot of contacts as well, who they got invested. As they said, never invest your own money, get uh, money from other places. So you'll probably either get into debt with people or screw up stuff like this. It's it's quite risky as well. So they're they're standing up and they're asserting. They're completely dealing with all the realistic things you need to get done. They're dealing with law financing they're dealing with putting money in one place they're dealing with scheduling and organizing in order to have this sort of foundation put together so that the creative person can go off the director can go off and be a floozy little dancer up in the air that's getting everything sorted out so they can go off and not have to deal with the mundane so they can go off and focus on telling the story properly and getting the film actually being an aesthetic masterpiece now that's such a fascinating thing to think about and this this is this structure is operant in most of the things that we do you see it in businesses all the time as well. In some sense, the CEO um, is is an, almost like a director, if you want to think about it this way. They tend to be tilted a little bit more towards visionary and creative. They tend to be tilted a little bit more towards the big picture thinking. And this is a little bit different in the business world because the business world will always reward people who are conscientious and um, and good at, at organizing logistics and whatnot. But they, they will often be partnered with someone who's maybe a, an excessively um, producer type of person, someone who's a chief uh, um, financial 
consular operations officer or something like that, someone who can manage operations, manage systems, manage processes and all this type of stuff. They will go well together. You'll often see a business will have, most successful businesses will have these type of people sitting right at the top. You know, they'll have one person who's tilted towards visionary thinking and another person who's tilted towards logistical thinking. And it's, again, like that duality, like man and woman, they operate really well. I've actually spoken to quite a lot of business owners in the Boyo program and some of the ones doing the best, like we're talking millions of dollars a year. They say like, oh, my business partner is the, the absolute crux of this. And I'm like, well, what's your business partner like? And they're like, they're the least creative person you can imagine. Like we almost never, we're, it's, it's like it's a struggle for us to talk the same language. We get on really well. And that's a great thing, by the way. Like they get on really well, despite the fact that they don't maybe see things the same way. That's a, a, a sign of great human skill to be able to do that. And they get on really well. But they always clash, you know, the, the, the logistics and all this type of stuff um, is, is th- this, this producer type gets it done and the creative guy who maybe does the marketing and the big picture and the branding and the, the style of the copywriting and all these type of things, he sorts that out and gets all this and he sees things differently and he can be the type of genius who, 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 who has a whole new perspective on the business that actually changes the business, whereas the, the operations guy will, will figure out the processes and then he'll just stick with the processes and if something goes wrong, he probably won't know how to fix it, he'll just be stuck in the processes but he'll run and manage the processes really 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 well and um, no this is this is a huge deal like I, I would encourage you maybe on first principle to go and seek these people because as i said i'm speaking to a lot of boyos in the boyo program and i'm seeing all the time this sort of problem i, I see they're they've got this personality type and you, I, I describe it as the shadow, the shadow of the creative person that's hampering them, that's haggarding them, them, that's holding them back, is these conscientious things, is these logistical things, you know, the ability to sit down and and sit day, down for a day and organize maybe law contracts, um, logistics of getting a studio in order, logistics of getting, you know, food on time, scheduling their, their day and stuff like this, getting, um, you know, getting a even more simple logistical stuff, like getting in a writing time and all this type of stuff. I always see this as hampering and haggarding most of these people from fulfilling their potential. They are tilted high in creativity and they come in and they do want to talk about the big ideas and there's a place for that. And we're going to talk about that now in a moment. But they... They, they, it's like this little mundane shadow is the thing that holds them back. And like everybody, I, I love it about Young, like everybody, it's, it's probably the funniest thing, I think. Everybody comes in and they're like, I want to integrate my shadow. Steph, I want to integrate my shadow. I'm like, well, how are you going to do that? And it's like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go outside and I'm going to like punch, punch someone in the belly. And then I'm going to poop on the floor because you're not supposed to because I'm all shadowy like that. I'm going to wear black. I'm going to... I'm going to change my name to um, Darius the Dark. <laughs> and then I'm going to go and worship Satan in Dracula's mansion. Yeah, I'm, I've been in, I've been integrating my shadow there the last couple of weeks and it's it's going really well. Like I'm I'm really like I really got an edge to myself now, you know. I'm really dark. I'm really cool. I'm really dangerous, you know. Yeah, shadow. Um let me make a video out about it by the way. Yeah, what I'm going to do is make a video about integrating the shadow because I've been doing it for 2 weeks. And then you go and you check out the video and it's like death metal music and everything's in black and it's like young said that we must kill everyone in the world and I'm into great and this is the, maybe the glamorous side of shadow work. Is that glamorous? Maybe, maybe this, maybe it's not. But this is the the glamorous side of shadow work. The way people imagine it, you know, that you go and you start doing Ouija boards out in your room, and that's like you know, in the individuation. This is where the jargon gets you. You know, oh, I'm doing the individuation process because I'm doing Ouija, Ouija boards and talking to poltergeists and talking to ghosts and like you know, basically just a little bit of LARPing. You can think about it this way, actually. 
the creative type has this propensity towards idealism and the imagination and the imaginary world. And when you think about something like shadow work, because you're stuck in the echo chamber of the, the creative thinking that you have, when you think about something like shadow work, what you're going to do is you're going to make it something that suits this personality type you have. So what happens is instead of shadow work being mundanely organizing a routine or a schedule or getting a grips of the real world or doing the things that like a producer would have to do, shadow work for you becomes going and discovering that there's ghosts living in your imagination or something like this. There's these collective unconscious items and whatnot inside your head and and, and you'd love it to be like that because it would suit your personality and remain romantic for you. But of course, I, I don't care about what you'd love. I'm here to talk to you about what will actually get results, what will help you manifest your potential. I'm talking to you about manifesting your dreams and making them happen because ultimately you'll be an awful lot more fulfilled and happy if you achieve that. If you actually make your dreams come true, then you will feel good. But if you want to just keep them as dreams that stay in your head, of course, that's going to be comfortable. It's going to be fun. It's going to be stuck in your comfort zone and your comfort and your, your, your echo chamber, but it's not going to get the results. And ultimately the thing that makes these dreams happen is plucking them out of that world and bringing them down into the real world. The real world, the artist is often trying to escape the real world that most people struggle with. And as I said, there's a type of person out there in the world who is more more of a denizen to reality. And you, as the idealist, creative person, you are not really of this world as much as other people. You'll be a little bit effeminate and off in your head and floozy and up in the air and all this. And this is actually a great advantage when it comes to organizing things aesthetically and figuring out stories and art and entrepreneurial creative cre creativity and the ability to change perspectives and see things that other people can't see. But at the same time, there is a mundane world you need to get the grips. And so cultivating relationships to do that that's a, a genius thing to do. And having the humility to accept that shadow in your life, that person is your shadow. You know, you might, you often see this with creatives. It's such a pathetic thing. And you, they're always broke as well. They're like, oh, I hate like, you know, stiff, stiff society. I hate st lawyers. I hate the uh, accountants. I hate the way the society's ran and like accountancy and law and contracts and, and schedules. I hate, I hate the concept of time. It's tyranny. Time is tyranny, man. I should just be allowed to be creative in the corner and all this type of stuff. And, and this is a clear signal of deep shadow projection because these people, these denizens of the real world, they do need maybe to be lifted up into the creative realms. And it's your responsibility to bring that to them somehow by mastering yourself. But ultimately, they're they're like you know the cogs that work in the in the real world. They're the the Agent Smiths in the Matrix, and you probably want Agent Smith on your side as opposed to hunting against you or fighting against you and whatnot. These people work in the world, and they are of the world, and they're very much grounded in the real world. And they have an awful lot of problems because of that as well. And you and them are like perfectly suited towards each other. You're like a MGTOW guy who's telling me that women are like demons and all this, and I'm like, man, women are different, definitely, and they're kind of they can be crazy, they can be dangerous, as Nietzsche said, dangerous play the real man wants danger and play and that's why he chooses woman the most dangerous play thing they certainly have a, a sharp edge let's put it this way but they're not evil they're just different and they probably shock you because they're different than you they have different priorities different goals and a different way through the world and you really need to get the grips with this stuff and of course, the thing I encourage in creative people is obviously cultivate these relationships. It's the simplest way that you can get this done. Play to your strengths, you know, play to your strengths as much as you can. And shadow work would be integrating your weaknesses. And if you really want to do shadow work in a smooth way, you can, you can embrace someone who's the opposite of you, the opposite personality type of you. But there's also a side of things as well, where it, there's, it, it's always a gift for you to sit down and humbly, as Jung would say, integrate the opposite. It's always a, a smart idea for you to sit down and understand you've got this idealism in yourself and it will be worth your time learning 
how hard it is to do the producer's job. You could come to appreciate this an awful lot more. It's good to invoke in your life discipline and stuff like this. These things actually do make a massive difference. They lead you. They're like the foundations for success. I know success to you is about telling that story that 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 per- I was talking about this last time. The success to you is about writing that perfect story that begins on Mars and then translates over to Jupiter and then you 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 scour through the zodiac and then pull all this stuff down to Earth and fight the new world order which you're um, in in the back of your council estate or something like that i know that story you just want to spend all your time focusing on that story because that will get it right but you'll actually discover that in order for you to manifest that aesthetic impulse inside of yourself often what you need to do is go down and do several really mundane things like sort out a studio space sort out a, a new negotiation about your contract and your job so you get maybe a, a more favorable time maybe take a, a pay cut but you get more time off especially in the morning or something like that that you can work on scheduling in um, a couple of hours in the morning for you to work, like uh, for, for you to write or you to create or do whatever it is. It's just like locking in these little logistical things and maybe things like food, you know, like l- understanding how to eat properly so that you and learning how to have your house always stocked with the right food so you don't eat crap and all this type of stuff. So you're able to execute on these visions and dreams so that you can wake up in the morning and you don't have to spend the first hour cooking or doing all the stupid stuff. You just have everything ready so that you can get into uh, get down and get dirty and actually make the creative thing happen and whatnot. And and these little logistical things, you'll find they don't actually take that much. You might only need an hour or two in the morning to change your life, to produce that creative thing. Over the course of a year, you can get it happen. You can make it happen. But because it's so antagonistic to your personality type, you avoid it at all costs and it turns, it destroys your life. And so what happens is you get stuck going to this job that you can't seem to break out of. You can never find time to do your creative project. And for that reason, the creative project becomes neurotic. It, it inflates into this crazy big super book idea that you want to shove down my throat when you talk to me. Instead of having the discipline to make it manifest yourself, you want to um, sell people on your big idea and whatnot. And... um, and then, of course, the idea in your head about how to do it becomes intimidating and scary. You think you'd have to take a, you're, you're going to have to work for 10 years in order to save the finances so you can take all day off and work all day in your creative stuff when you probably wouldn't even need all day. You'd probably, like a lot of most creative people I talk to at the highest level work three hours a day. You know, they maybe do other things, but the, the creative impact happens three hours a day, that type of thing. They, they, they really don't do it excessively. It's, it's, it, it, there's a punchiness to it. They, I'm not saying they don't work for the rest of the day. They might be stuck doing emails or logistics or social media or whatever it is, but the, the, the creative impulse happens in short periods of time. And, and this is all logistical realities. These are all about grounding yourself in the mundane and mastering the mundane and getting a grip with that type of stuff. And what, what is interesting is, as I said, when you don't have that done, this neuroticism appears where this, it inflates into this uh, into this big story in your head it becomes intimidating because it seems like it would be too hard to do instead of you like taking a year every single day hacking away at it for 40 minutes instead what you do is you you imagine that you'll have to take a week off and try to get it done in one week and of course that'll never work um, and, and then on top of that as well, the, the neuroticism starts to make you hate yourself because your anima is not expressing herself. You're not releasing your creative spirit. You're stuck in some mundane, crappy job or something that's not suiting you. And your soul is dying and you begin to hate yourself. And this is where like this sort of creative mental illness happens. There was a, a boyo I worked with and I sat down with him and I literally just got him to, to, to write the story and talked him through this and talked him what it meant to him when he was doing it, but got him to go through the whole process. Because I, I could see that it was like he was, it's like he was um, late stage labor, and there was the the baby was about to be born, and he just wasn't letting it out, 
And it was like, you know, just give birth to the damn fucking thing and see what happens. And and as he released all that stuff out, he's like, you know, coming off antidepressants, way more energized and happy. He felt power. He felt his creative impulse release. And all these validation problems he was having, looking at other people on social media succeeding, started to go away because he felt the power come back into his hands. He realized there's a way for him to produce, to get something done. And it was just about having the severity to make sure it happened. And of course, I was holding him accountable to do that. And this is what's fascinating about this is that it wasn't talking about spaceships or ghosts or poltergeists or big crazy ideas and all this type of stuff but it was actually the mundane system orientated approach that made all the difference and this is really what i'm trying to preach here is the creative shadow par x alliance this is the big deal that you have to get right now the reason why i say this is because this ties then to the other side of things as i said the idealism of the creative which is a sacred thing the idealism that you have you are off in the realm of ideas and there's this mundane realm that you must have the humility to master yourself but then of course find people in your life that are masters of that so you can invite them into your life and they'll make your life just so much easier and you'll make their life so much easier wow it's like the perfect way things work that's how men and women work you know when men and women operate and understand what they are and what they bring to the table and understand their roles they work as a team and make both of their lives better and easier and create meaning about their lives and create a beautiful child as a result of this and these this is just it's like the universe is more built for each other what a surprise oh the universe is a bleak horrible terrible place where everybody is mean and evil and all this type of stuff it's like actually everybody's different and they have different ways of doing things the genders are different there's loads of different personalities that think differently and they're, they're always going to argue and they're never going to agree and no one's ever going to have the same way of thinking that you want them to but that's all right that's fine actually the world works more dynamically because of that and if you're able to manage these things that's incredible amounts of intelligence and wisdom is the art of knowing this stuff wisdom is the art of you being the bigger man and knowing that you know the producer person is not really going to understand you and you need to actually humbly welcome them into your life and learn to listen to them that's real shadow work not fucking staring at like the, the wall hoping that a ghost comes out of it instead doing stuff like this this is the real art and in fact what you'll notice and again this is another thing about trying to hit at the creative's ego is that the the people usually have this humility are these producer types they usually have to come with this first because the creatives are often so difficult to deal with this is a common problem and and you know take some responsibility don't be this type of character it'll make you so much better to work with and they they usually have to understand i'm dealing with a creative person and and they're a mess i I would talk to people about this and they're like, I'm not that creative person. I deal with them and I often have to be very, very aware of this stuff. I have to know their personality type and understand they're different to me and learn how to use them. And, and use is maybe a strong word, but you, you know what I'm saying. Learn how to bend things to their will to make them effective, to make the director effective. Because one thing, you want to see their dreams come true, but you also don't want to lose a shitload of money because he gets some stupid idea and gets lost in these type of things. And, and this is really important, a really, really big deal. Now, as I said, I, I actually started on a, a, a tangent and I think I, I skipped off it, so apologies. I was, I was talking to someone who was very much artistic and they were struggling in all, in all facilities and this was exactly the type of problems they had. They just had no logistical skill. They were just repeating it back to me. I'm not that type of person. I need to work in logistics. I need to work in these mundane type of things and whatnot. And, um, and, and, and in some sense, like they would be ideal for someone to come and, and sort them out and, and a producer to come and, and make the, their dreams happen and whatnot. But at the same time, this this person could really do with disciplining themselves for a while just to know what it what it's like to know what it is and then later down the line 
outsource properly you know don't don't go all in on this stuff but but get a taste develop a sufficient taste for it so you you dip your feet in a little bit and you know what it's about so you don't disrespect it for you have the humility to see this type of person that's great wisdom to be able to do that to come and approach a producer and understand the challenges that they're going through the stress the fear the risk the annoyance of dealing with contracts the problems of negotiation the way things have to be presented to make negotiations easier for them and of course the pressure they're under and the laws of imperfection that like you know sometimes it's better for you to let your creative dream just be 99% of the way there instead of 100% of the way there so this person can actually get paid on time and organize everything logistically properly and you're not dropping things on them last minute and stuff like this these are huge things to get right now the reason why I say all this is because us as creatives we have something sacred and special that they don't have that these denizens of the real world of the demiurgs realm of the third dimension we have something they don't got and this is this ability to be idealistic this ability to think beyond all good and evil to think beyond all horizons to think bigger than is at all possible we have this and this is a great great gift a dark and difficult gift but a great gift and if you have this humility and logistical skill to make this gift manifest to make this this stuff manifest you'll achieve something that is so rare for people to achieve which is purpose you can do all these great things which is change the way the world works and Jung has a great quote in this that i'm going to play from a channel called what's this channel called jared chen and um yeah check this out so the artist's relative lack of adaptation turns out to his advantage it enables him to follow his own yearnings far from the beaten path and to discover what it is that would meet the unconscious needs of his age. All right, so first of all, the artist's relative lack of adaption comes to his advantage. So again, it enables him to follow yearnings from the far beaten past. So you're stubborn, egotistical creative who thinks he knows how everything works and th everything's very simple in his head and all he got to do is spend some time thinking about these big ideas. And his anima is so interesting. The anima is highly motivated. It's, it's, you know, when it's on track to do something crazy, the anima inspires them to have will in despite of all logical reason should be saying surrender and give up, you know. Uh, a more realistic person would probably say, what's the point in going down this unbeaten path? It's too risky. Whereas these creatives are just like, they're delusionally capable of taking on the world. Um, this lack of adaption is their advantage, but of course, understand, it's lack of adaption. They're not adapted to the real world. They're, artists are adapted to a possible future. They're adapted to dreams. They're adapted to things that haven't happened yet. And most of the things are delusions that won't happen. Hence, they're just completely deluded people. But some of them are just like beyond belief visionaries. And it's almost like they're waiting for, they're setting, they're preparing a future that isn't even here yet. And it's very, very difficult to kind of get this, this stuff in order. But this is how important these people are. They literally like roll the wheel forward. And... And it's the law of a thousand failures to make this happen. As I said before, nature treats artists as, as cannon fodder. They're, she's happy to make them charge a machine gun and 95% of them to get butchered and end up broke and depressed and not manifest their dreams and not get anything right. Because she's, she's willing to take risks with you. Nature cares about the survival of the species and not the survival of the individual. The individual does not matter to nature at all. And there's righteousness in that that is far beyond anything you understand. Nature is correct in looking down upon your individual struggles and sufferings. And you should be goddamn appreciative that she gave you life at all. And then you should be goddamn humble enough to understand what you are and what she made you to do. And embrace that role and try to do it the best you can. 
And so if you're creative, you're designed to, 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 as I said, run towards the cannons, take a risk, go out and eat all the plants to find out which ones are poison, which ones are psychedelic. And if you eat too many of them, you can't tell, but you, you're designed to be that character. And this is an important thing to embrace. And of course, there's people, there's a lot of people in the world who aren't, and you're not above them. You're, actually, you're probably going to end up less than them. But you could be a great team if you could just humble yourself and understand how to do this. Thus, just as the one-sidedness of the individual's conscious attitude is corrected by reactions from the unconscious. So art represents a process of self-regulation in the life of nations and epochs. Now, this idea is crazy. It's so difficult right now because there's clearly a Puritan ideological wave taking over the world. And most of these creative guys who come in and talk to me they're saying stuff like, I'm jaded, man. I'm a creative dude. I've had people come from Hollywood. I'm actually going to do a series on, on what I've been talking about with some of these guys. People from Hollywood, people from in, in script writing and theater, people in the visual arts world, people in the music industry in California. And they're coming in and they're saying, man, I hate what's going on. I'm sitting here and they're fucking making songs and it's basically saying the West is evil and stuff like this. It's not even good music anymore. It's not even good films anymore. Like I write a script and my animus speaks and they come in, they're like, great script. Now would you just change these characters here and add this in? And it's like, it's ideology. It's like Marxism, you know? You're, you're, you're now creating art and art must get stamped by the state. The state is the producer. And, and there's this, 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 you know, um, cocktail wine bar socialism going on about it all as well. Like there's all this like snobby um, stuff that'll make you vomit, like delusional crap that is, 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 is getting shoved down people's throat and art's being bent towards the, the neuroticism and, and snobbishness and, and uppityness of, of, of mediocre people, basically. And of course, what, what the artist is designed to do, as I said, nature experiments with these. And so when the sort of ego of the world, which is what the ideology is currently is, it's an ego, it's the way of seeing the world. When what this ideology is, what's happened to this ideology is it's gotten to a, per, a certain state of stiffness now where the artists, a lot of these people have achieved the dream. They're working in the high levels of the music and, and Hollywood industries and all this type of stuff. They've achieved the dream. But they're, like, artists aren't, aren't supposed to achieve dreams such as, uh, you know, get, get your job and all that type of stuff. They're designed to manifest dreams. And so if you achieve the dream of getting placed in Hollywood or something like this, uh, all of a sudden Hollywood is now stiff and ideological. It's no longer creative. It's, it's dying. It's, it's over. It's, it's a consolidated behemoth. It's, it's frozen. It's dead. And so they, they no longer feel happy. They, they, it's like Midas. You know, they've got all the wealth maybe and the finances they could want producing in a great studio or something like that or working in a, a great theater or, or doing selling their art and all this but it doesn't mean anything because it's all a lie and, and their anima their soul doesn't believe in it anymore and she thinks it's all crap and you can give them all the money they want and they're happy to they're happy to take financial risk because they it doesn't mean anything to them they can't they can't derive happiness out of what they're doing and this is very fascinating like nature's made you a crazy bastard where you will go on tilt. You, your anima will, will be different, even though you're, you'll have all the logical stuff like a, a large bank account and a secure job and all the prestigious social status stuff you could want. And all you have to do is shut up and just say the party line. The artist won't be able to do that. The artist's soul will rebel and drive them in a different direction. In the Soviet Union, some artists could do it. Some artists could get obsessed with the aesthetics. Maybe some artists believed in the, in the projects, but most artists started to commit suicide and try to escape and whatnot. They just couldn't deal with having to say the Marxist 
party line and a propaganda for the, the state. They couldn't deal with it. It, it. it ripped their souls out. And the same is happening right now. I see the sort of um, beginning of it at the moment. And it's probably going to keep on getting worse as we go forward. And as Jung would say, art, the, the dreams of a culture represent a process of self-regulation in the life of nations, in the life of eras. And so we have a stiff ideology swamping over the world, turning into an oppressive Marxist experience that is now starting to, to set these creative visionaries off. And they're now getting jaded. And the, when the creatives are jaded in 10 years, it's going to be mainstream what they're thinking. Stuff is going to start tilting, I guarantee you. This is how this stuff works. It's like the psychology of the collective you know you have these creatives now that are breaking off and being like I don't like this stuff anymore I don't like what's going on I hate this ideology and tilt is starting to happen but the problem is is that these people they are creatives. They're not really capable of manifesting many of their dreams. If they want to go into Hollywood and make a, a, a new film that tells a new story, they're not going to be able to do it because all the producers, they're the normies. They're the Agent Smiths. They're more plugged into the Matrix. And they're going to be a little bit more stuck in the system. They're going to be stuck in the, in the way the ideology is. And as things begin to drift and change and evolve, and as artists take experiments and some of them are successful and most of them um, fail, and, and people start like saying, things that are different and challenging the ego of the collective things will start to move forward things will start to tilt a little bit but it will take a while it will take an awful lot of sacrifice to get there and what's most important is that many of the more producer realistic producer orientated people will be stuck in the stiffness of the ideology for a while and this is going to become a very serious problem because if you find yourself jaded and you want to rebel and go and create something that has purpose for you and says something differently you're going to have to move out of that that place you're going to have to take steps by yourself and go and figure this stuff out on your own and blaze your own trail as we would say and this is really really important for you to understand is that it's it's again if you want to do something like this you're you're going to have to have your, you're going to have to be a whole person. You're going to have to be well put together. You're going to have to be a well-constituted and well-individuated individual. You're going to have to have your shadow integrated. Let's put it this way. You're going to want to be able to master the mundane. If a producer comes and they're jaded as well, you goddamn better be able to talk to them properly and not scare them off and annoy them by being too extreme or something like this or being too floozy or out of touch and all this. You, you want to be able to give them a huge amount of confidence because the risk that they will take if they want to help you create a new cultural artifact that's outside of the norm is phenomenal because they're doing something that's dangerous and if they don't turn a profit on it they could ruin them financially reputation wise they lose all their contacts you want to make sure that you're in a good place to be able to offer this to them and this is, this is these these are huge things for you to keep in mind and I, I think this ties into something quite important. It's like the realistic way that you can make your, your dreams happen and go pursue your purpose and manifest your dreams. Because a lot of people, as I said, want to see the world change. They want to see this ideology pushed, get pushed out of the way. They want to fight a culture war. They want to get over the, the kind of cultural nonsense that's going on. And so in order for you to achieve that and for you to do that, you need to understand all these things and understand the path of the artist and understand the, the danger that the artist will be put in, the, the high risk vanguard position the artist will be shoved in and how to play this stuff properly and i'd say the last thing then would be to sort of study these cultural industries and try to understand them a bit better so that you can begin to see the map the world the world that you're coming from the world that maybe you want to go going forward um so this is a gentleman called plastic pills he's going to talk about the culture industry which is uh, something that the neo-marxists adorno and the the 
postmodernists used to talk about. And it's actually a really interesting conception. A really, really interesting idea. So, and we're going to talk about Edward Bernays now. Anyway, they co-authored this book discussing how media generates homogeneity. That is, the same bleak sameness in every product. And mass production stands in contrast with artisanship, which is admittedly less efficient, but goods created by artisans are unique and maintain a sort of aura of the designer or artist, a remnant of human touch. So this is actually quite a cool thing, um, ragging on Marx. This is something Marx got right. And he got a lot of things right. When you read through the Communist Manifesto, you're like, man, he was hammering, he was going well up until the take everybody's property. So you're doing pretty good. Like you, re you read the first part, you're like, man, this is, this is a good book. He's got some hot takes. He's given out, he sounds like a right winger, like most of the time. And then, um, he comes up and he's like, take everyone's property. And you're like, fuck, man, you just lost me there. Holy shit. You were, you were doing well, brother. You were doing well up until that point. Um, so what you see is this uh, dichotomy between um, the, 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 the culture industry of mass production and artisanship, which I'm trying to take my face out of the way so you can see it a little bit better. All right. So this is someone crafting a shoe, going shoe mode, shoe pills. That's, that's what all the boils are now. Um, now, th there's something quite interesting to think about this because I see a lot of people hate on the modern world and blame it an idea and blame the ideologies about what are going on and complain about the state of the art world and whatnot. And, and I think there's fair reasons to complain. Things are not as high quality as they could be. And so you should be angry at them and be like, this is all shit and try and make, try make the world, uh, you know, like I, I don't like this junk that's getting churned out. And what is interesting is, is Marx called this quite early on. He was saying that as capitalism rises, essentially, maybe I should start this way. If you want a big principle, a first principle in order to understand the challenges of modernity, it's not, it's, it's, it's all these things you can blame it on, Satanism or um, uh, an ideology or communism or capitalism or fascism or, or power or the 1%. You can blame it on all those if you want, but you're incorrect. Because the fundamental thing that's driving all of our confusion and all of this madness of postmodernism, the fundamental thing is the problem of scale. It's actually logistics, the problem of scaling an industrial society. The Industrial Revolution was, was everything. That's, that's, that's it. Society changed so much because of the Industrial Revolution and the scale that came of it. Almost all of our decisions are geared towards this. It's a system style of thinking. You see this an awful lot in logistical types and engineers, whereas creative types and can't really think this way. And when they learn to think this way, they're the most powerful people ever, but it's rare that they can do it. For example, Napoleon, a creative type who can think in terms of systems and the system he thinks about is the army and he runs, he takes like, you know, 10,000 men and he thinks about all these system and the systems working together and he sits down and he's standing over a battlefield and he coordinates this massive movement and is able to conquer another army because it's so dynamic and so fast the way he moves. a genius. They, the people look at Napoleon, they're just shocked at how quick and efficient he was in moving across armies. He was so organized in his head because he was really good at this stuff. And so the challenge you have and the challenge we have are getting driven by scaling problems. This is literally it. It's like the reality is a business and scaling is just hard. So the industrial revolution comes along and people figure out production lines. They figure out machines, you know, and machines are able to make more stuff. And look, I hate to break it to you, but like maybe you say this is the satanic side of us. Um, our, our consumerism is, is almost always going to win. When, when things are available, you're going to buy more of them. And, and that's just the way it is. And the, the, the problem, the thing that holds us back from going, turning into a, an industrialized society is, is almost always logistics. Like it's just too hard to organize a, a large machine oriented thing. Rome probably would have done this, but Rome didn't have a giant colonial empire where they could get resources from all across the world. 
Uh, they couldn't globalize their empire. And so this is the sort of thing that happened in the Yoshi Revolution. The Europeans had this massive empire that spread all across the world. And they had all these resources coming in and they just organized production lines in London and France and um, made these big factories and started to mass produce stuff. And then as a consequence, they started to mass produce food. They started to mass produce clothes, started to mass produce houses, cities grow. And then all of these things begin to happen as a consequence of this. There's more people. We have to make all these decisions about to manage people. Everybody stops getting treated as much as an individual who is special because there's just simply more individuals and everybody gets reduced down more into a mass man. Communism begins to rise, which is the idea that now that the masses have grown so big, they are a source of immense power that was unrivaled compared to it before. Before, maybe there was like a thousand people in a city and one royal. And, and maybe a small royal army, and maybe that, that royal army could handle the 1,000 people. But now there's a million people in a city, and there's like a, a group of 40, 50, 100 politicians. And if those million people want, they can just kill those people. It's not, it's not that big of a deal. It happened in the French Revolution. They just got pissed off enough that they went and they took out the kings. And there was very little that the kings could do because the revolution took over. And these, are, these are problems of scaling, you know. As, as things get bigger, the mass, the mass man becomes more of a political unit. This is where democracy and nationalism and all these things come from. It comes from the scale of massness coming coming together. And of course, then, how you treat the individual has to become more reductive. If you want to feed an entire city, you've got to stop thinking about everybody gets raw organic milk. Instead, what everybody has to do is get pasteurized milk that can fit in these giant tubs that we can bring down from the countryside. And this means that the quality of the milk drastically goes down. But it also means that the milk is not going to have diseases in it and going to infect the entire population. And, and this, is, this is just one of those trade-offs that you see happening. And so it's, it's as we scale, the reduction in quality goes down, but the, the scope of what we have happens. This is a universal problem of, of society, if you want to put it this way. And Marx points this out. He says that this problem is a big deal. And Marx is like, Marx is like almost like the, the, the stereotypical creative, you know, he's like mad that there, there's logistical problems in the world. And he wants everyone to just go to that thing where they can just sit around and fish and think creatively all day and follow their creative uh, passions. And he's in some sense correct. Like, and he's, he's talking quite sincerely because he looks back to that world where we had artisans all the time like if you wanted to become a producer of something if you wanted to make clothes nowadays you're going to get plugged into a conveyor belt in china or something like this and get like destroyed by tanning chemicals while so you can make gucci belts for westerners but back then if you wanted to make something you would go and take 15 years and study under a cobbler and the cobbler would teach you how to use all these tools and these would be your tools that you would possess yourself and they would teach you how to use leather and go and buy the leather and they teach you how to tan the leather teach you how to make the, the boots and all this type of stuff they teach you a holistic skill you would be the entire factory whereas now what happens is um, everybody in this factory does a tiny little job one guy hammers a nail one guy tans the leather one guy laces the shoe one guy shapes it a machine does something else and nobody can do the whole process themselves everybody just does this little bit but this this leads towards mass production that means everything works together more shoes get made they're decent enough they'll do and then there you go but here one shoe get, takes a long time to get made. It's way less efficient, but it's also way more beautiful and actually long-lasting and more powerful. And so if you get a pair of shoes like this, it's way more valuable than these things. It can be more individualized. You go into, you can still do, do this nowadays. You can go into a tailor, you know? So most of us are used to buying clothes, going to like H&M or something, Top Man, going to Top Man, and uh, you just buy the clothes and they're standard fit. So if Top Man is uh, getting this ideological stuff where every single boy is a soy boy who's a skinny little dweeb, that means the clothes you buy 
fly are gonna they're not gonna fit you properly if you've got massive if you've got a massive hunky set of legs like I do if you've got this big bubble butt that I do and the the jeans aren't gonna fit properly you know they're gonna be like long at the bottom or wide at the bottom and and tight at the top and stuff like this and it's just not gonna work and and this is a problem this is a really really big problem and so um, you go to a, a clothes tailor and the clothes tailor will individualize the clothes. It'll actually like reshape the clothes to suit you. It's one of the, and you'll ch- pay, pay more, but the clothes will probably last you longer. They'll look better. And fitting is a huge part of, of looking good. So it actually makes an awful lot of sense to do it. Um, and this is, this is a great problem because of course this person here, the craftsman, the artisan, is actually happier. They have more connection with their work. They're a creative type. If you, this person had this huge creative imagination, they could give their soul, their anima, an outlet through this little boot here. And they can make it the most beautiful fucking boot that has ever existed in the world. And it would actually be quite fulfilling. Like if you've ever done stuff with your hands like this, it's it's amazing. My dad is a, a craftsman like this and, and he uh, he has this big garage that he does all this stuff in. And he's just, he's just so happy all the time when he's in there. He loves going out there. It's it's class. And I love seeing him out there because he's in a great mood. And I come in with him every now and again and he's making stuff. And I'm like, what are you making? And he'd be like, oh, sure, I'll, I'll figure something out. And we make stuff together and all this. And it's very wholesome and it's very fun. And it's very, it's just great. I lo- absolutely love that buzz and I think it's uh, a tragedy that we don't have stuff like this in the modern world for example me being able to sit here on YouTube and talk about my thoughts and all this like watch YouTube with me and all this stuff it's fulfilling it's it's enjoyable because you're it's it's in your own hands you're producing something that's that's yours and and it, it's it's your own thing and it's, it's it's a whole product itself and it's it's immensely humbling and challenging but it's it's a joy all the same and and this is really important and these these artists these artisans they're very integrated artists you know the logistical sufficiencies of what these people have to figure out is huge in order to make this beautiful boot they have to understand how a tanning process works they have to understand the logistics of sourcing they have to understand how to get uh, the, the bottom of the boots they have to understand all these different tools they have to know how to sharpen their tools there's this whole experience that goes into this and the more fulfilled people fuller people and the product they produce is better but there's a simple problem you can't make seven billion fucking shoes like this it just takes too long this is more efficient that's simply it and if you take this principle and think about all of society with this it it changes everything logistics rule all in modern society it's it's everything it's so so important and it reduces the quality of everything that has come out of our lives to the point now where it's even reflecting in our ideologies where people are have, have this mass neurosis that's going on that assumes that everybody is the same not like equality is bastardized into meaning everybody is the same equality is turned into this delusional concept of of homogeneity you know global homogenization this is this is what we're talking about literally with milk if you want to talk about an, a, a synchronicity and one of the processes they do in order to control milk is they grab it and they shake it up and mix the fats in among it and this is called homogenizing the milk i hope i'm saying that correct i'm probably wrong but I, I, there you go there's me just spoofing myself hopefully no one noticed no boyos notice should i make a kefir brand by the way boyo kefir we'll send it all around the world and it'll be like our answer to our, our fight back against the new world order and their, their supply chains. We'll make a boyo supply chain. What do you think? If you're down for that, give me a shout. But, um, everything becomes homogenized it becomes lower quality you listen to and i'm, I'm definitely going to do this at some point is uh, where we can go through like art history you listen to classical music and the the sophistication in classical music is f- beyond belief it's like advanced mathematics most of the time whereas you listen to modern music and it's very simple it's very mundane it's very 
mass produced because it's designed for clubs and going out and having a beat that you can get drunk and drink a cocktail with and grind someone with. Whereas the the the, the stuff back then was like you know a, a composer would bleed their heart and their soul into this. And and in order for you know in order for everybody to justify getting together as like a hundred people to sit in an orchestra and play all these instruments, they would have to really sit down and 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 think through what they're doing and say, is this valuable enough to fucking play? And these are all elite musicians; they're not just going to come in and play like starships are meant to fly. I, I. They're not going to do that. Even think about the artist of a, of a, an or, or an, um, a conductor for an orchestra. That's an incredibly logistically logistically sophisticated thing. You know, like most artists nowadays, they just want to sing, they just want to play guitar, and it's very selfish and emotional and, and poorly individualistic, but and a conductor has to think, how, how do I get the violins and the cello all in different tunings all to work together? How do I write the sheet music so that everything sequences all at the perfect time? You, do you have any idea how sophisticated that art is? It's unbelievably complicated. And the artisan at the center of it, the conductor, the, the guy who writes the, the score, oh, what a talent. It's unbelievable. And then, of course, it's reflected when you listen to what they make. It's just beyond belief. It's heavenly. There's been few achievements, I think, higher than classical music from the 19th century. It's, it's just shocking how well put together that stuff is. It's, 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 it's just it's, it's insane. It's like looking at a cathedral. It's just amazing. And... Again, these are all the problems. Then what happens is we have scaled industrial society, and so classical music is just stupid at that point. It's it's literally turned into film music, which is a mass-produced dream, if you want to think about it this way. And music becomes more about like beats and and, and shortness and whatnot. And I'm not trying to complain. There's been much great music since the, uh, the since the, the dawn of the 20th century, but you can see how things change. So let's uh, check out more about the cu- culture industry. That lasted until art started to imitate the products of mass production. So now the consumers of these products are also blandly similar, passive, and unimaginative. What are they talking about, huh? Reboot, sequel, sequel, crossover, spin-off, yeah! Anything new would be risky, too risky. So mass media is essentially stuck on loop. Not all, not all. But anything that breaks in here just gets looped through every other aspect of the culture industry. The culture industry as a whole has molded men as a type unfailingly reproduced in every product, not nuanced in any way. Again, 1940s. That's when Disney was still this. Not this. Hey, we can wait. The culture industry stimulates the desire for pleasure, for entertainment, only to defer it to the next thing. To reboot, sequel, sequel, crossover, spin-off, habituation and repetition that resigns subject to the status quo. Lulled to sleep, as it were, in a flow of products. And it's not just film. Adorno and Horkheimer started a tradition of studying mass culture as a mechanism for the maintenance of a status quo. One that continues later in Barthes, Baudrillard, Jameson, and Plastic Pills. As with many Marxists in the post-war period, where we get the moniker neo-Marxist, Adork were trying to get a handle on why, despite all the economic contradictions, particularly inequality and alienation, the public is actually opposed to revolution. They would rather be asleep as complacent consumers, and really, they don't draw much of a distinction between this and this. Both are basically 
technocratic regimes of instrumental rationality, according to Horkheimer, and oppose the idea that a better world is possible or worth fighting for. So are they just elitist culture snobs? Well, no. The critique of the culture industry, this Walmart dream world, is not a critique of individuals per se, or even of the pop culture products themselves. The problem is rather with the industry that produces them and how their sole purpose is to mass market, mass produce products for profit. There's no other human goal to which producers or even artists aspire. So uh, what I want to kind of get into is that, as I said, like a lot of the boyos who come in to the boyo program, they're coming in and they're saying to me many of these issues that they're having. And I see quite a lot of this as like the shadow of the creative, like logistical problems, you know, and, and the, the humility and the, the, the constriction that they could operate in order to embrace that, that, that those mundane challenges to get the stuff going on. But another thing I see as well, then what would be more in their idealism, this big visionary part of themselves where they want and feel that what they're doing has cosmic meaning. And if it doesn't, they're like, fuck this shit, it's pointless. And I think that's good. You know, on, on the one hand, it's like one of those paradoxes. I'm telling them to shut the fuck up, bite their tongue, stop being such a snobbish little nonce and actually just get something done and make it maybe simpler and, and calm down. But at the same time, if they can't find the universal in the specifics of their what they're doing, of their art, their, their soul will die. And they need to get these two things aligned. And, and this is, I think, one of the great problems that a lot of them have is that they, they see what's going on in the world. And they're, they're angry, they're mad, they're upset. They're, the, the ideology that's swamping into them, the culture war that's getting shoved upon them and stuff like this. And I would always say that if, if you want to understand maybe why an awful lot of this stuff happens, as I said, it's, it's a very kind of simple process. There's, there's well, simple is maybe the wrong word for it, but it's straightforward as far as I can see. It's like the problem of industrialized scaling of society. And this led to an industry, the culture industry fo forming, which is Hollywood and music and all these type of things. And the people who are operating this culture industry were people like Edward Bernays, I'm going to talk about him now in a minute, and their idea was things like profit and monopolizing human attention, and they were like, they turned everybody into consumers, and for that reason, um, the ideology that's sort of showing up now is stupid, it's, it's, it's low resolution, and it's being pushed by all these outlets, as you would say, it's being pushed by the, the culture as it is standard, and probably because it's profitable in some way, I don't, a way I don't quite understand, and the, the thing that I'm concerned with is not about discussing why that is or making some type of political statement or stuff like this, but more saying that you as the creative person, I, I know I'm like you, you don't, you want to do something about that. You know, you want to stand against that. You want to assert your reality against that. You want to create something new. And you can't create it within that game because that game has gone sterile. It's gone boring. It's gone crap. And lucky for you, you're, you're like the exciting first 60s psychedelic movers you're you're there first there's something big is coming down the road where a lot of people are unhappy with this and this whole stiff industry is going to get chewed up and spat out and turned into something new but the thing is is that in order for you to do this you're going to be a trailblazer you're going to be by yourself and you're going to have to be good at these shadows at these logistic things and whatnot and you're going to have to understand that in order for you to be a producer of new culture you have to do the job that the industry did better than them and the thing about the industry is that the reason why they're, they're the people pushing the agenda is because they're the most logistically organized people they're the ones who are serious and sophisticated and comprehensive and you see I see an awful lot of people giving out about the, the elite or the people in Hollywood or the people pushing the culture industry and all this stuff and it's fine you can give out about them all they want but they have their status 
status and their position because of their their competence in what they're doing and it's simply like it's like anything if there's a balance of power you, just, you need to become competent enough to rebalance the power when spain got too powerful the english started to fight against them when napoleon got too powerful in france the english and the austrians teamed up and started fighting against them and so this is the sort of situation this culture industry has become neurotic and silly and maybe you could start to become a rebellion against it you could start to assert yourself in a different direction if you so wanted to and all you would have to do well all right you'd have to do a lot of things to get that right but most importantly if you really believe in this dream if you really want something like this to motivate you this much you better be all in and you better it's like the artisan thing you're going to have to take all of it on your shoulders you're going to have to go to the highest level you're going to have to become the most full individual you possibly can your soul is asking for something this high this is why you can't do these normal jobs even though they pay well you can't do them because they're sterile because they're dead because they're lies but the thing is, is that in order for you to follow your soul and make these true dreams happen and assert the truth, because most artists are idealists who believe in the truth above everything. And in order for you to assert the truth, you're going to have to stand up and become a man capable of asserting the truth, a man worthy of the truth, someone capable of getting logistically organized, a full individual. You're going to have to be, you're going to have to be like the artisan who is more than the average factory producer, because most of these artists nowadays, they go in, they sing a little line, they go in and they do a little beat, they go in and do, they do this, and they don't know how things are distributed and don't know all these type of things, and that's to their discredit hard luck they're 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 they they could even do very very well but they're ultimately a part of a giant machine but you if you want to push in a different direction maybe you want to start building these machines maybe you're that type of person more of a producer type who is the open-mindedness to see this stuff but you don't really have the creative instinct well you could start thinking about logistics and and getting that stuff in order for people and then if you're if you're the more creative type you could start to think about becoming a competent enough individual to get this stuff in order i think this is a big question i think this is probably the defining question for cultural creative people for the next 10 years let's put it that way it's the bitcoin of our game now what you should notice from all this is that the the thing that most people have beef with is actually probably best categorized as this culture industry this is the machine that is causing or being used to cause all this stultifying energy inside of people all around the world the uniformity of ideals the uniformity of ideology that you see now is a product a consequence of cultural production methods and tools the media music and hollywood university all these institutions that churn out informations and thoughts to purport their values through their channels of distribution lead to a sort of crafting of the young mind and then, then the old mind and what happens then is that everybody starts to sound the same and if, if this culture industry gets stale and starts to talk nonsense which it is doing many many times over it everybody it starts to to chant the same tune they are um, collectivists they are mass psychotics despite the fact that what they say and you of course being the vanguard creative to someone who might maybe think outside a box or someone who just at least has decent instincts and just doesn't like having crap shoved down your throat you kind of don't like it and you suddenly turn into this demonized enemy who's not saying the party line who's not saying what the tv tells me and stuff like this and what this reveals i think which is so fascinating is that we live in an age equally if not more ignorant than any age in the past like there's and, and there's no difference there's actually probably this is a more extreme version of passivity and um, then compared to what a lot of people complain about with the church nietzsche would 
complain about with the church. You know, the church is a very passive experience, which essentially amounts to a form of brainwashing when you think about it. And many people accuse the church of this. Like, what did they say about the church? Oh, the church dragged us all into these churches, into these little buildings. And then they got to this guy to stand up at the top of the church and just make us sit there still and listen to him rant, which is, I basically do this to use now. I'm the new pastor. But uh, back in the day, they used to force you to do this. Imagine that if I had bio squadrons walking around being like, do you, do you check out Steph's most recent YouTube video? You better, you hope you've watched Steph's YouTube. Go in there and watch Steph's YouTube video and put on your best suit, all right? And bring your bring your girl, all right? Show up on Sunday right after you're drunk, all right? With that hangover, come up and sit down there and pay attention to him, all right? And then go and put money, go put money. <laughs> I'll send out a little basket. I'm like, donate to Steph, all right? You're going to donate to Steph for all this hard work on his YouTube channel. That's a great idea, actually. Now that I think about it, screw all this shit. Click delete, stop the video. Right, let's go back to this. Let's figure out how we can get that game in order. That's a good game. That's a good hustle for the, the, old, the poor you youtuber that's a pretty good one i like that a lot yeah i might go back to that and where was i i got too distracted by the power of the church oh yes of course so there's this sort of passive experience where you're all sitting down there and uh, the the man at the pulpit is just roaring down at you and of course nietzsche was sort of maybe hinting a little bit that you know it's, a, it's kind of a an npc way of experiencing reality whereas you know think about ancient pagan worship where you know you cut someone's leg off and then everybody dances around in the fire and then eats it or something like this so it's a little bit more at least you're like participating even though it might be a bit more crazy and um, and then of course modernity uh, we like to think of modernity as this great liberating free time which is just the the snotty and um, actually low iq or midwit take on reality and um, modernity is is as ignorant as as anything the church ever did it's probably more passive the church you at least have to dress up and go somewhere and meet other people and have social skills now you can just sit like a a lump in your in your room order crap food and just sit there and just have this dream machine pump in its crap into you every single day for hours and hours and on end and it's the most passive thing you could possibly imagine there's literally no way that you participate with reality through it and everything is consumer based you consume music you consume tv you consume media you consume films and they all pour in information into you and you have no interaction with it at all you're not the pagan doing the ritual and you're not even the christian going up to, to the top of uh, church to, to get your little holy communion and all that you're literally just adult a, 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 an npc a, someone plugged into a matrix who's just consuming and then these this culture industry that produces all this whatever they put out is going to end up as most people's thoughts most people are going to get brainwashed by this stuff it's like um, garbage in garbage out the inputs are all and the, the most people just cannot process this stuff properly and can not stand for themselves and so the challenge for for you is that as I said, you're sort of the vanguard. You're the person who stands outside of this. You're the jaded creative who has those revolutionary instincts, as all creatives always do. And you're sort of operating like the, the group mind having its uh, reaction against itself, sort of saying, all right, I'm, I'm tilting a little bit too far in this direction. And you're starting to kind of scratch your head a little bit and be like, um, these, this is not normal. This is not healthy. We are not an enlightened people. We're not progressing towards anything. This is turning into this large mass, stultified, psychotic, ideological group thing. And this is like swallowing the world up and it's stifling you and then what you see in movies now is this, all this shame and all this you know moral posturing like crap art basically this is this is always what this amounts to and you find yourself always getting um, critiqued and shamed and blathered and you're trying to bring in your new perspectives which is usually what creatives offer sometimes they don't even do it as sophisticated maybe as like great sharp intellects but they they are able to see things differently and of course you're just harassed and hammered at this type of stuff and you're just spat out or maybe you just have as I said good instincts that allow you to just know that this is crap that you don't want to shove down your throat but you still struggle with it and this is where the problem becomes very serious is that 
I, I get that. Like, we all feel that. And what this will turn you into is a reactionary. You'll react against it and you'll become a whining reactionary. And, and you'll sort of be like, what's the point in participating in this? I hate this. This is crap. It doesn't feel good. It's not real. It's not culture. It's not going to last for 100 years. It's just, it's just, it's one of the, it's one of these periods of history that people are going to look back and laugh that people actually took stuff seriously. And they're going to like make fun of the people of these days. And they're going to be the most humiliated people of all because they're the biggest dolts. And the, the truth is that I agree with that and and it's easy to whine about that and it's easy to complain and say oh the NPCs all these ideologues all this type of stuff I do it often you know but the problem you have is that you can whine all you want, but ultimately it comes down to stepping up to the plate to change things. And this is where you have to get a little bit serious. Like you as the vanguard, no one's going to come and save you. No one's going to make it better for you. And you have to actually take the responsibility and do it yourself. And what would that mean? And this is what's quite fascinating about it is that the culture industry is this big um, machine which has been which has all these skills wrapped up in it that are very comprehensive and complex and very difficult to get a grip on. Skills that you probably don't have. Skills like how to distribute out art. I bet you don't have that. Skills like how to make art. For example, good stories are one thing, but then producing a good story into a good film is a whole other thing altogether. Do you know anything about lighting? Do you know anything about how to, to orchestrate and manage a financial endeavor in order to distribute wages towards all the people that are getting ordered? Do you have any way to contact costume designers? Do you have any way to storyboard a script? Do you have any idea on how to set up proper audio for, for all this stuff? Do you have any idea how to run a shoot? Do you have any idea how to organize a, a TV studio in order to produce news? Do you have information sources all around the world to do all these type of things? Do you have any of that stuff in order? You probably don't. And this is a very big problem because the people who tell the stories now, even though their stories aren't great, their logistics are actually quite sophisticated because they've had a long time to put it together. And once something like this becomes old, you have a couple of different options. Either you can start making your own logistics, which I uh, highly recommend, or you can start to try to take these logistics and use them for yourself or something like that and tell good enough stories with them. And this is the kind of problem is that if you're going to sit there and whine and be reactionary and complain, you're not you're going to stop at the point where you need to get serious the problem you need to do is it's like a shadow for the, the, the creative is you really cared if you really wanted to do something about it you'd say to yourself all right well how do i start producing stories that are as of high of a standard but with better as high of a production quality and standard but with better energy underneath them with a truth underneath them with vital energetic truth something that empowered people lifted their spirits and made them optimistic and assertive gave them an aspirational will to assault the world instead of something that was stultifying demoralizing that made their energy sink down into a sort of passive consumerism and escapism that is often so present in many of these modern films could you do that would you be capable of doing that are you as are you put together enough as an individual to achieve something like this do you have have you spent this long time doing this shadow work not just sitting there reading about young and being a theory guy being an information guy who gets nothing done is ultimately pathetic have you actually sat down and went through that long arduous hard process to become capable of producing stuff i'm currently going through this and it sucks it's so hard there's so many problems that you pick up i have to learn so many things to just run this this youtube channel you know i, I still suck at stuff like lighting i still suck at, suck at stuff like logistics i'm always trying to figure it out for example with this video i recorded this video and the audio kept on dropping out for the youtube thing so i had to go in and download the youtube videos and put them back up and it's a big big nightmare i always make these mistakes i waste a load of my time and whenever i get my logistics in order it's a headache to get it done but when it gets it done almost everything runs smoothly and this is just to run a tiny little youtube channel with like pretty mediocre production quality in many senses every now and again i have these flashes of brilliance and this is a big question you have to ask yourself it's like man the organizational skill that you would have to put together to lift this up to the high 
high level. Of course, I've got the stories. I think the reason why people are here is because I've got the ideas. I've got the, the energy and it brings it forward. And I try to match it with this production quality. I'm trying to lift that up all the time. That's the gradual um, steps that I'm going to take. But this is it's a long, hard process. And it turns me into quite a compelling person in the end. I've met many friends recently that I've known from throughout my whole life. And I show up and like a lot of them are stuck in jobs or some of them even did, for example, they did really well in like investing and stuff like this. And it's, you know, they maybe have like way more money than me and stuff like this. But at the same time, when it comes to skills and stuff like this, like I, I was just, I have all these crazy skills I can just pull out of everywhere. I know so much about all these crazy little things. Oh, I'd love to like shoot better ca- ca- um, cameras and all this. And I'd be like, oh yeah, here's how color theory works. You know, uh, here's how, here's how you set up a camera. Here's what you need here. Here's all the different types of cameras. And, you know, uh, and I've definitely not mastered this stuff, but I have just a basic competence. Oh, you need uh, audio. Here's how you set up audio and all this type of stuff. Here's what's, what's a good laptop. Here's what's a bad laptop. I'd like have a lot of this stuff built into me from just struggling with this stuff. I've built up aptitudes and I've started to get there. And I'm just one dude. Like imagine if you can do it and then a thousand other boyos can do it. And then all of a sudden this sort of global culture begins to form of people who are jaded with this crap and don't want to be a part of it. And they actually are getting together and producing high level organized projects that actually turn out as high quality as the, the rivals that you see going there. You would see phenomenal things show up because the truth is on our side. The true vital stories will come out of us because we're telling the truth. We're being sincere. We're, you could say, um, operantly working with our minds to produce true stories and individuated stories. And of course, that would bring the real energy and bring that stuff forward. But of course, there's a lot of things that have to happen to get there. We'd have to mature very much as a set of people. And that would start by us maturing as individuals. And so This is the kind of big challenge I like to offer to creative types and whiners who want to find a purpose and all this type of stuff. It's like, are you are you really a complete individual? Are you serious enough? Like, here's a here's a great project to fight nihilism right there for you, right? Why don't you go and seize the dream faculties of society out of the hands of these people by seducing the population to listen to the stories that you have? Why don't you go out there and actually put your stuff out there and make it good enough that people cannot ignore it and tell the truth in such a fierce and vital way that people get addicted to it? Why don't you do that? What's stopping you from doing that? Oh, is it the bad guys that are getting in the way and all this type of stuff? Maybe it is, but are you relentless? Are you going to keep on burning like you're in the trenches until you're literally forced to to be squished or something like this? Do you really have that in you? Because if you do, then you might get closer to an actual hero's journey, an actual individuation path. You might actually achieve it as well, which is another big idea. And of course, the man you would be at the end of it would be just phenomenal. The the, the change you would have to go through to achieve that would be crazy. In fact, an awful lot of what I see in stuff like the Boyo program comes down to these type of discussions. People often come in and say, I want to, how do I individuate, you know? And I'm very interested in this idea. I see a sort of mob of people come in who are not put together properly. They're not organized properly. They're not complete individuals. I'm not a complete individual. And I've sort of gone on my hero's journey and slowly made myself more complete, filled myself out in many different ways. And it's only been to my benefit. I've Like this transformation is the most important thing I've ever been through. But of course, what that facilitates is often things that I don't understand or don't see or don't want to be the things I have to do. As I said, like logistical problems, like learning how to do the mundane and the boring. You're like, really? I thought individuation process is about going up and getting into the imagination, talking about no, it's not. It's about mastering the mundane, getting technological uh, sufficiency, logistical mastery and whatnot, get, getting that balance to your personality. Another one I often see is the, the need for the warrior archetype to switch on. You often get like artists and creatives tend to have a little bit of a sort of 
delusional, idealistic, slightly effeminate energy to them. And of course, when you establish and you press and you switch on the warrior energy, they, they, it's like a grounding masculine force that puts them together. Sometimes you'll get creatives or you'll get people who maybe have a lot of these virtues and high openness, but they lack this sort of creative spark. They don't have a good relationship with their anima. And of course, that's something they need to get sorted out as well. You need to get that stuff all firing. And then, of course, you put together things like interpersonal relationships and actually learning how to manage people and understand people and operate with this type of stuff. Because if you're going to run an organization... And that means if you're going to manage a project or something, you've got to be able to deal with people. And if you can't do that, you can't do anything. And and like it's not going to work. And this is a big deal. And these four quadrants, these are huge. And these are all things that need to be switched on. And most people come in with the desire to have a creative spark, thinking if they just get that, that will be the end of it. It's like there's this whole long process you have to go through where you have this creative spark. And then you have to take this creative spark and pull it out of the ideal world and manifest it in the real world and go through all these comprehensive logistics problems you have to have the assertiveness and the warrior instincts to go through it you have to have the consistency with your creativity so that you constantly reforge and reshape what you're doing and of course you have to have the relationships and the network around you to support you in doing this because your destiny is going to be misunderstood in isolation and you're gonna to have to learn to get over that and this is the big this is the big thing for me like when I'm running the boyo program I'm thinking to myself what am I doing here who are these people coming in what do they need what, what's happening with them they come in I'm almost seeing it like a university you know a cream of the crop university where you can take guys in and actually formulate out this step-by-step process they can go through in order to develop these aptitudes so that they can make this stuff happen because in the long term then out of this will be produced people who actually succeed culturally and actually produce things in a powerful way and do stuff that is meaningful and make stuff happen and get stuff done and there has to be that sort of severity there has to be that process orientated within it there has to be all these things put into place to make sure it happens and this is my big focus this is really what I'm thinking about it's it, this is the kind of context of why I, why I do stuff like this because I see a a lot of people complaining about what's going on in the world and the culture industry and I, I feel it myself and I see a lot of people whining about all oh, that look at all these messages they're putting out in the media and all this type of stuff and it's like well what, what, what would you do about it and almost always when it comes down to it in order for you to do something about it you'd have to write you'd have to level up in a thousand different ways and that's really what's holding you back is that you don't want to do that it's like you know there might be a fighter who's out there and he's boastful and mocking and you say, I don't like that fighter. And it's like, well, you know what? Go up there and fight him and put and shut his mouth. How would you do that? How would you go up there and get in the ring with him and give him a box and tell him you don't like him? Heavyweight boxer of the world. You want know, to go up and give him a smack and see what happens. And you won't do that because you're not capable. You're not competent enough at combat. You don't have things like nutrition and diet and skill and dedication. You don't have these things in order enough. So it really, you're just someone who has an opinion, but doesn't want to back it up with effort and will and, and fight and assertiveness. And that's a very big problem. This is what I'm trying to correct. I see as well a sort of underserved set of people because, for example, in you know, Jordan Peterson talks about this in university and in school, you, the creativity, trait creativity, the ability to think differently, the ability to think with different perspectives. This is like no correlation with success. It just doesn't help either way. It doesn't make it things harder or better. You just simply, it just doesn't matter. It's, it's irrelevant. It's not built into the education system. Education system rewards conscientiousness and, and sharpness. You could say intelligence if you want. And, um, that's that's create creatives are just sidelined because of that and these are the perspective changers the the new the new generators and whatnot and what would it mean to form a sort of school a, a a process something that focuses not on processes that will take people through step a to b to, to churn them out as useful automatons in the economy but actually something that will take in these people have this creative imagination and put the processes suitable to them in place so that they can come in and go through a step-by-step process and come out the other end starting off as a sort of 
potential theory guy, intellectual golem who thinks, you know, who's not succeeding and, and trying to like get his first baby steps and like the little fledgling and have them come out on the other end where they're actually put together, got all these, these parts of themselves switched on so they've got a completeness to them so that they're an effective person who can manifest their dreams and make this stuff happen. This is really my big focus on why I'm doing something like the Boyo program and what it means to me and, and how I understand it making sense and what I encourage people to do and this is why all these ideas come from this from actually directly working with these people and I see this stuff in them when I'm talking to them I see clearly what they're going through and it disciplines my mind to pay attention to these patterns and see what's happening with these type of people and and, and it, I find it fascinating I'm actually quite optimistic in seeing that the vanguard the creative impulses maybe I'm an echo chamber who knows but the creative impulses is now starting to get very angry and rebellious and really trying to scout out for different ways to go and I guess what I'm trying to say here is that if you put together structure framework logistics left hemisphericism if you put this like a red carpet out in front of this energy you you will see a different world in 10 years and it will be uh, it'll be a step forward most certainly so this is my uh, this is what I'm up to at the moment now of course if you want to go through this you actually want to come on board and work with me there's obviously a crew of boyos that are going through this stuff as well and you actually want to train these skills so that you can become effective and actually achieve success if you want to go through this transformation but get have the pressure of us putting upon you like you're joining an army and we start to batter you with a with a hammer and try shape you try idealize you into something better than what you are now and actually get you to have that transformation you can join you can come on board and actually work with me work with me week in and week out if you want and um, all you have to do is go down to the link in the description or the top comment and book a free call all right you apply for a call and you're going to talk to a boy who actually came in through the same call worked with me worked in the program and then of course actually now works for me because i like the way he conducted himself i like the way he worked with himself he's very young but he's got the energy and he's 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 locking these things down and he's putting this stuff into place this is jack that you'll be talking to so if you want to do that pop down the link in the description sign up for a call you'll chat to jack and he'll tell you everything he'll tell you his experience he'll tell you what he's done and you tell he'll tell you where how things work and where things are going so if you're interested in that pop down a link in the description you'll see what's going on you'll see this stuff from the inside we can actually sit down and and um, put this put our heads together and try figure this stuff out make sure that you've got all these things in order so that you actually do have logistics on your side and i will talk to you later thank you very much for your time as always and may the force be with you may the juice be with you uh, see you later